Welcome to Weston's Sermon Podcast of the Week. We are so glad you've joined us today. If you have been encouraged by our ministry and would like to support us financially, you can do so at westonroadchurch.com slash give. Thanks for joining us this week, and we hope you enjoyed this week's message. Amen. I pray that you're ready to hear the word this morning as much as I'm ready to give it today. Uh, we've, today is the conclusion of our series called Some Assembly Required. And uh, it's been a series on relationships, not necessarily husband and wife, but in our relationships in general. We can't avoid people, right? As a Christian especially, no one is an island unto themselves. We can't be. Uh, God created us to connect and for relationship, uh, but we, relationships take work, yes? Amen. So uh, just to recap, part one, we looked at marriage as being God-designed Therefore, it is God-defined, right? So that was part one. It's available on the website, on the podcast. Uh, Part two, we talked about boundaries. And remember the example of the hula hoop, that whatever is in your, uh, within your boundary is your responsibility. And that's including your emotions, your decisions, uh, your actions, and your sexuality as well. Um, We did another week on Q&A where we answered questions, and today we want to end with something that is inevitable in every relationship as we deal with people, and you guessed it because I told you already, it would be on conflict. We can't avoid conflict, and uh, if you look at the etymology of that word conflict, con meaning uh, with, And then flicked meaning uh, to strike. So there's this uh, friction that happens uh, when sometimes people get together. And we can't avoid it. And I want to also preface all of it by saying conflict is not always bad. We oftentimes view it as that. But, you know, before we had matches, how how would they start a fire, right? So the result was good because this was what they were aiming for. They wanted to get a spark to light a fire. And it takes friction. Uh, I have some scripture that I want to share before we actually jump into the message. Just as a segue in. But Luke 17 verse 1 said, Jesus was saying to his disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come. So in other words, you can't avoid uh, these things that take place in relationship. It's impossible that no offenses should come. And he was just saying, get ready, and you're going to have to deal with them. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. When I read that, I don't view that as a negative. I see that as good for me. I have a memory of my grandfather when I was young, and my grandmother would say, his name was Antonio, but she'd say, Tony, and he would come and she'd say, take this knife, it's dull, and so he would go in the drawer, and he wouldn't use, like, I know in our drawer, there's like this round, you know, it's like a file thing, and you sharpen, but he would take an equally large knife, very scary as a young kid, and he would just sit there in the kitchen going, and and then he would test it, and he'd go, no, it's not ready yet, and he would continue, And the idea is iron sharpens iron. And the result is not negative always, but it was good in this way. 
the NLT translation of Proverbs 27:17 says, right, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. And so conflict, even within friendships, uh, yesterday we were here for a day to become a better us. And it was amazing even just to hear them speak about conflict in the context of relationship of a husband and a wife. And it's important that we understand one another and how we address it and how, in our interactions with one another. Um, but we learned about it yesterday in that context too. And you can't avoid it. You can't avoid it. So might as well embrace what scripture has to teach us. And as we get started, I do need to talk about our attitude though. Our attitude is important when dealing with conflict. Matthew 5 verse 9 says this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. So as a, as a child of God, part of my uh, focus should be to be a peacemaker. And, and, and we have to seek peace. So I got to work towards this. Romans 12, 18 says, If it is possible, as much as depends on you. Notice where the uh, emphasis is put. It's on you. Live peaceably with all men. Now, I do want to say that it starts with saying, If it is possible. If it is possible, what does that mean? I'm going to take every opportunity to try. I'm going to try every perspective or avenue. But then on the other side, it also tells me that sometimes it might not be possible. And, and I have to understand, though, that it's my responsibility to do everything that I can Everything that is in my power, in my hula hoop, everything that is my responsibility, I have to try. And if it's possible, I'm going to do it this way. As much as it depends on me, live peaceably with all men. So I'm not going to go looking to pick a fight with my neighbor. You know, there was a time, let me share this, um, where, I don't know, are you familiar with the term the boulevard? So where we live, there's our driveway, there's the sidewalk, and then there's what we call the boulevard. It's like a little patch of asphalt. Um, it's really useless because you can't really do much. But our neighbor, uh, actually it wasn't our neighbor, it was her son, would park sideways on that little boulevard. And um, he had the, I say tenacity, maybe it's a little harsh, but, you know, with young kids and stuff in our van. But one day he rang my doorbell and he said, can... Would it be, can you back your van up closer to your garage door? And I was like, okay. Uh, and he could tell I wasn't understanding why. And he goes, well, just because when I park my car, your van is a little too close for when I have to maneuver it that way. And I was like, um, I'll, I'll, I'll see, I'll do my best. And then I was like, Priscilla, um, like I, even when he parks sideways, he's on our side, clearly. And now he's saying, like, it's my driveway. It's my van. And he was asking, can you back up all the way to your garage? So I had to tell him after speaking with my wife, I was like, um, I can't really back up that much because we take the kids out. And my wife has to walk holding our baby, you know, around the back of the van. So no, I can't like jam it right up against the garage door. And it, it's just, but I didn't really, I didn't, I didn't want to start it. I could have started and say, it's my property, right? I'm just trying to live at peace. I want to show my neighbor the love of God. 
And so I, I, it took a lot in me, I'm going to be honest, but we got to learn to live this out. If it's possible, try. Try everything in, within your power, within your responsibility, within your control to, to live at peace with your neighbor, with your friends, with your husband, with your wife, with your brothers and sisters. But in life, it's inevitable. Conflict will arise. And humans disagree, hear me, because... We are wired differently and have different agendas, right? My neighbor, he cared about parking his car because there was literally no space. You can't park in the street. You'll get a ticket. And for us, we were concerned. Our agenda was, well, our children. My wife has to walk around holding our babies. So, no, we need space. And so we each come to the table, again, with different past and with different experiences. And a lot of times you'll approach conflict and how you deal with it based on what you've experienced or been exposed to growing up. You'll learn these patterns. It's not like you, you, you think about this and how, but by, as a byproduct of how you're raised, oftentimes that's how you approach dealing with others. And so thankfully Jesus knew this and he taught in Scripture for us, how to manage conflict resolution in Matthew 18. So we're going to get there eventually today. That's going to be the text that uh, is our anchor text. But we have to build a progression um, to Matthew 18. Okay, so before we jump there, um, understand that the most devastating effects of the fall were relational. I'm going to say it again. The most devastating effects of the fall, Genesis chapter 2 and 3, especially chapter 3, Adam and Eve sin, right? God created them for relationship, for one another. It's not good for man to be alone. That was in our first week in this series. So we were created for relationship, but the fall ruined that whole picture. And what I'm actually meaning is, our ability to have healthy relationships in, in three dimensions. Number one, with God. Most important. Number two, with ourselves. And number three, with others. The fall ruined our relationship in these three realms or elements. And so today, we're going to pray in just a second. But we're going to have two steps to resolving conflict. Before we pray, I want you to hear this though. In both these steps, you are the common denominator. Um, I think we have a picture of the, the circles. Yeah, right here. Right? You are the common denominator when dealing with conflict in your life. It's important because you have to own. Remember your hula hoop? Your responsibility? That This is within your direct control. And so within conflict in your life that you face... You are the common denominator when it comes to a relationship with God, but also a relationship with others. You are the common denominator. I'm the common denominator in my life. So uh, we can't pass the buck. We can't pass the responsibility on to someone else. We have to own the responsibility. So I want us to pray today. I pray that God would open our hearts, that we would learn uh, maybe something new out of his word. And then that God would just continue to help us in our relationships with people because conflict is inevitable. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning um, that you've primed our hearts through worship. And Lord, we, we're prepared. We're ready to hear your word. Lord, I, I pray that if there be any distraction in the room, that you would silence every heart. Lord, um, 
silence every distraction, but open every heart. And Father, that you would speak. It wouldn't just be words that, that I have in my notes, but Lord, that your spirit would speak through me. I humble myself under your mighty hand, and I ask that you would anoint my mind, my lips, and my heart, that I might speak and deliver this the way you want it to. And so, Lord, we ask you all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So two steps to resolving conflict, but you are the common denominator in them. So number one, step one rather, is you go to God. Step one, you go to God. And it has to be in this order. Step one, go to God. Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 to 5 say this. It's on the screen behind me if you're taking notes, which I encourage you, just jot it down. Matthew 7 Starting at verse 3. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. It's a very... uh, it's filled with imagery, right? You think of a log shooting out of your own eye, um, but it's meant to look a little foolish because we're really good at finding faults in others. And I'm pointing just because yesterday at the marriage event, we learned a lot. Um, stuff that is, we knew in principle, but it was uh, good to be reminded in a fresh way. And, and so we're good at really finding the flaws and the specks and the little things. But in reality, we have to go to God first. Why? Because when we go to God first, we understand who we truly are. That's why it's important. And in God's presence, he reveals and he chisels away those things that are wrong with us. And this is why before I'm going to ever take one step towards someone to resolve conflict, I need to take my step to God. Step one, we're going to go to God. So you go before the Lord before you go before the person. And we have to spend time praying. In Philippians 4 verse 6 says, pray about everything. You know, a lot of times we're really good at talking through situations and talking with family or friends or our confidant about everything because we want wisdom, we want advice, but a lot of times we skip the first step and we don't even go to God and we don't let our request be made known to him. We don't have the conversation. We don't lay it all out on the table before God, but we've laid it out on the table before our friend or before someone else. There's nothing wrong with that, but you have to get the order right. So step one, I'm going to go to God. I'm going to pray about everything. Lord, how am I supposed to deal with this? But before we can even consider that, um, we need to seek God's counsel. We're good at seeking human wisdom and human counsel. Nothing wrong with that. But again, let us seek God's counsel first. There are instances in the Old Testament where they had good intention, God's people, and they wanted to do good things, but they never sought God's counsel. So God's blessing wasn't in it. They thought it was a good idea, so they did it. And God says, you never asked. You never asked me. And so, listen, you might have the best of intentions, but make sure, step one, you're going to God. Go to God first. Allow God uh, to, to speak into your life, into your situation. 
You got to go to God first. Um, Again, our tendency is always to see the speck in someone else's eye, yet not see the log in our own eye. So here's what I propose we do. Psalm 139, the psalmist gave us a great prayer to pray. And I just want to share it with you. He said, search me, verse 23 of Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And I love verse 24. Point out anything in me that offends you. And lead me along the path of everlasting life. Again, what does it look like, Pastor John, to do this first? It doesn't mean you literally have to be in a specific place. The, the posture that matters is the posture of your heart, that you're bringing yourself before God. Whether that's in your prayer closet, that's in your car on your lunch break, or whether it's in the washroom because there's no other space. It doesn't matter where you find yourself physically. The most important thing is where you position yourself before God. And so search me, O God, and know my heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So before I'm going to go to anyone, I'm going to go before God and say, Lord, look, I'm an open book. Every, every part of my life, come. Search, my, search me, but know my heart. That, that speaks to the motive, right? Search me, know my heart. Test me. So God might test you when you go to him. It doesn't mean you leave and say, oh, I must have gotten the step wrong Right? No, we go before him. And as we do that, we say, Lord, test what's in my heart. Test me. Try me. Prove it. And know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything that offends you. So my approach to conflict, as I go to God first, he might have to bring alignment to what I thought all along. He might have to course correct me. Not that your intent was wrong or bad, but maybe I was a degree or two off. And God's just going to bring the right correction. But also, if there's anything that offends God, chances are it's going to offend people as well, right? So when I go to God first and he points out anything that might offend him, then I have to make sure that I'm not bringing that and then dumping it on someone else. But this is really uh, the safety net when dealing with conflict because we we have to flesh this out with God. And we allow him to work in us before he can work in the situation between us and someone else. So it's important that we get the order right. James 3.17 also tells us that we go with that attitude of being willing to yield. It's a position and posture of surrender. So James 3.17, but the wisdom from above is first of all pure. That's why we want to go to God first before we would go to people. God's wisdom is pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism. And is always sincere. So listen, as we're preparing, right? We have, the step one is, I'm going to go to God. Step two, I'll give you the heads up, you know it. It's, I'm going to go to the person after. But this is important. We have to understand the nature and the character of God. Because if I'm going to go and, and let iron sharpen iron, there's a right way to do it. 
when it comes to conflict, but there's also a wrong way to do it. And so I have to be careful in my approach. Do, do I reflect what James 3.17 says, right? Am I peace-loving, gentle, uh, willing to yield to others? Am I full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds, right? I have to be sincere in my approach to people. You know, another way Scripture says, let your speech be seasoned with grace, right? You can speak the truth in love, but your speech has to be seasoned with grace. And so if we, if we take those elements out, what really is happening is we're going in for a fight. We're going in to butt heads with one another. And, and really the spirit and heart of conflict is that we would get better together, right? But if I'm coming and, and, and I'm wielding an axe, right? This is my iron and I'm, re- I'm just wanting to swing it. Guess what? the outcome is not going to be too good for anyone involved. And so, listen, we have to learn these lessons because God has called us to do life with one another, to do life with our parents, to do life with our children, to do life with our spouses, our coworkers. This isn't a message on husbands and wives, or, or this is, like, in general, in your relationship with human beings. I want you to hear me today. In your interactions with your boss at work, or if you're a boss with those who work under you, there's a right way to speak to them, and then there's a wrong way. As Christians especially, we need to heed what the Word of God says. Why? Because I believe God will honor us as we honor His Word. Can somebody say amen? And so it's important we understand this. Right? So that was James 3.17. Mark 11.25 says, But when you are praying... First, forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. And it's interesting. And I just want to, many of you know my testimony, uh, my story rather of when my mom died in a car accident. I was at the age of 23. Um, but, but I remember, um, the, to not go into the whole story, some of my friends were saying, like, what are you going to do to the guy? He was a 19-year-old kid in a Mustang. So the understanding was he was bombing it, speeding on the road, and then just T-boned my parents' car. So my friends, even the ones who were from church, were like so upset. Your mom was such a good person. And they were like not trying to egg me on, but they were just like that affected that like, man, I want to go, go and bash this guy's face. And I was just listening going, oh, Lord. This like, and I said, guys, listen. I forgave the guy already. Even though I've never met him, I've never seen him with my own eyes. We ended up seeing him later, and we extended forgiveness in person. But you know what? It had to start in my prayer closet, which was actually, during that season, it was lying on my bed, staring up at the, at, at the, the ceiling, crying out to God. I would just cry. I couldn't sleep at night. I would just cry. But I remember the time where I said, Lord, I forgive this guy. And I remember coming home one of the nights before the funeral service at the church. And uh, my dad said, Jonathan, he was up. It was really late. He said, uh, I, I've been praying um, and just thinking. He's like, we need to forgive this young man that, that did this. I said, Dad, I already have. And so the next night, I didn't, none of us knew, but he showed up right there at the funeral service. My dad got up at the end of the night. Listen, listen to this got up at the end of the night. It was, the church was full, about a thousand people. 
And my dad said, Pastor, I just want to share with all the people. We know where Angie is. She's in heaven. But we heard as a family that this young man locked himself in his bedroom for the three days. Didn't come out, didn't eat, didn't talk to anyone. And, and we didn't know. So our concern was, we know where mom is, but what about this young boy? He's 19. He's got a whole lot of years left to live. My, so my dad said at the end, I just want to come up and I just want to pray. Uh, ask the church to pray for this young guy. So my dad was standing right at the front with his eyes closed, recounting some of the events. And unbeknownst to us, the young man was in the room. And as my dad said, listen, we know where Angie is. We want to pray for him. I was sitting in the front. All I could hear was sobbing, like from all, there was a balcony. So I heard it from all over the room. And I was just there going, what's going on? The young man, it was almost like the spirit of God pulled him up. And he walked right to the front and was standing right there in front of my dad. And so when I, I opened my eyes, I tried to figure out what's going on. We realized he was there. My dad said to him, come here. Everyone, like you're probably wondering what's going to happen. But everyone knew we, we had forgiven him. So he said, come. He said, I forgive you. And everyone was crying. I had high school friends that were unsaved in the building that day. And then I was waiting for my dad to say, come. And then I came. The part for me that spoke volumes was seeing my grandparents. They just lost their daughter in this accident. And they came and they hugged this young man. And I thought, wow, three generations of people forgiving um, what took place. Listen, I'm telling you. We, before we're, we can go and, and fix other, our situation with other people, we have to go before God. And it's in that place where we say, I forgive, Lord. You've forgiven me of my sin, but I forgive. And here's the thing. When you do it with God regarding your situation, oh, it's a lot easier when you finally have to do it in person with someone else. But... but the order is important, that you have to sort your, yourself out before God first. And, and that's why I say, Lord, test my heart, test my motives. Because it's one thing to say, oh yeah, Dad, I forgave him, right? But I'm holding on to a grudge right here. What would have happened in the service when he showed up? And my dad's saying, come, hug him, right? I'd have been like, can't do it because I'm holding on still. But listen, when we deal with conflict with, with, with people we love, we have to be willing to say, Lord, I forgive them. It's not easy, but I'm doing it, right? But when we are praying, when you are praying, Mark eleven twenty five, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. If I read this verse correctly, it's implying that if I don't forgive my friend, how can God forgive my sins? Right? So it actually hinders my walk with God when I'm holding a grudge. And so it's a serious thing. We have to learn to deal with conflict in a biblical way. Right? And now that you've gone to God, you've aligned your heart to His, and you've dealt with any possible log in your own eye. This is what we're talking about, right? Before you see a speck, you've got to focus on the log in your eye. Now you're ready, right? So in step one, this is my opinion. I said it's going to be scripture. If I do share my opinion, I'll state it. So step one, it's my opinion that you can approach God however you are. Right? You're angry. You're upset. Uh, you have snot because you've been crying. You could approach God however you want. Why? Because God's a big God. He can handle your hot mess. He can. He's, he's, he's that good. He's that amazing. That's our God. He can handle you with your fury. 
right? You come like a, a, a hot ball of fire. God can handle that. So you can approach him that way. The, the other side of that, you cannot approach people the same way. You can't. God can handle it. I don't know if other people are designed to handle that. And so it's important that we understand um, God can handle all of that, but you can't approach others however you want. Remember, and here's why I say it. It's my opinion, but back to the boundaries, right? My emotions are in whose hula hoop? Mine, right? Therefore, I'm responsible for my actions. I'm responsible for my emotions. So when I'm going to approach someone, I have to make sure that I, I have this in check. That within my hula hoop, I have composure. Why? I've dealt with it before God. The, the feelings and the emotions, they're real, but I have them in check. They're under control because those are within my control, within my hula hoop, right? So then how do you approach them? You approach with humility, as scripture said, peaceably. Speak the truth in love, like we already said. Let your speech be seasoned with grace. So step one, you go to God. Step two now, you go to the person. You go to the person. And Matthew 5, 23, 24, just to show you how serious God takes our relationships. Remember, we were created for relationships. So it's important that we understand God takes it seriously. Listen to Matthew 5, 23 and 24. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, Pastor John, what does that mean in modern 2020, modern day, right? If you come to worship the Lord and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. God is saying, yes, I love your worship. Yes, I value your heart for, to worship me. But you can't negate your relationships with other people. You know, worship, we think of it as only this vertical picture. But there's, a, there's also a horizontal responsibility to our worship. Maybe you've heard it, this picture before, you've seen this. They say the cross is like this, right? So it's my relationship extending to God, but also to man. And, and it's important that God died for everyone, but we have to live in relationship to God. That's why this is first, step one. But then step two, my relationship with people. God's saying, I love your worship, but get your heart right. Get the situation right. Again, as much as it is possible, as much as it is up to you, do what you can. Is it always possible? Probably not. Um, but you do what you can. Do what's in the realm of your responsibility or ability. Um, but we're reading what it's saying in Matthew 5. And he's saying, as much as I love worship, as much as I dwell in the praises of my people, there has to be unity here. There has to be unity. You gotta coexist. You gotta live together. You gotta be a community. Common unity. Community. Right? So, what are we gonna do? If you have your Bible, let's open to Matthew chapter 18. Because this is the this is the outline that Jesus gave us when dealing with conflict. Matthew 18. And we'll begin reading at verse 15. It says, If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, 
you've won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. And then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. I also tell you this, if two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. So if step one is go to God, right, we can approach him however we need to. But here is the pattern and the outline for step two of how now do I go to someone that there's some conflict with. It might be your wife. It might be your husband. It might be a fiancé. I don't know the different needs here in the room. It might be someone at work. It might be someone in church. But Matthew 18, if someone sins against, Matthew 18 verse 15, if another believer sins against you, what do you do? You go first privately. You go privately. So we don't talk um, to everyone else about it. Point out the offense, which is something that was done to you. And by the way, it's not a vomit session when when you're seeking to resolve this. Um, We're just there to point out the offense. And the purpose, ultimately, is reconciliation. Is that we got to live together. We got to do life together. And so we got to be willing to work this. So the first time, according to scripture, is one. I just broke it down so we can understand. The first time, one. What does it mean? One-on-one. You go privately. The first time is one. One One-on-one. Verse 15 says, initiate the contact. Verse 15 also says, confront the person in private. You, You might say, Do I have to initiate the contact? Well, do you want it resolved? Do you want to seek to work through these things? Then someone has to be initiating. And listen, back to the funeral story, that young man, I mean, he didn't have a platform opportunity to say sorry for what happened, whether if it was a mistake or carelessness. It doesn't matter, right? But we chose... Not even knowing if he was in the room or not, we chose to initiate something, and which was forgiveness. And as a result, we were able to, right there, just allow healing to take place. Uh, did I ever see the guy again? No. Does it matter? Yes. What do I mean? It doesn't matter that I haven't seen him again. What matters is he knows he's forgiven. He can walk in freedom after all of that. And that's the important part. What we're trying to achieve when resolving conflict is, hey, we're going to work through these things. We're going we're gonna to deal with them, but we're going to get better. First time, think one. I go one-on-one. Second time, think two. It's pretty easy. One, one, one-on-one. Two is two, which means you take one to two people with you. So if he doesn't listen... The brother who sinned against you, if he doesn't listen, now I'm going to just bring one or two witnesses with me, as it says in verse 16. I just want to read it again. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. What are you trying to confirm? Hey, we're trying to work it out. 
We're trying to work it out. We're doing, I'm trying at least, I'm willing at least. I'm coming humbly, peaceably. I'm trying my best. So now there are one or two other witnesses with you that can confirm the facts in the meeting and work toward the solution. Uh, But then thirdly, then scripture says, if that still doesn't work, then you go before the church leaders. You go before the church and you have to deal with this. Now, this was in regards to someone sinning against you, right? So there's, there's a, a process that Jesus is outlining in verse 17. If no resolution comes, you bring the issue before the church. If it's in your workplace, by the way, it's a, there's, there are processes like this, right? Then you go to the, the organization or those who lead in the organization, your boss, um, those placed in authority, And then agree upon the truth and the appropriate options for the offender. And if no resolution comes, then it says release the person. Release the person. And and this is interesting for, for our relationship because we were created for relationship. We're there to seek the best outcome with, with our friends, with our spouses. We got to work though. And here's the reality. It takes both sides. It does take both sides. That's why in step one, right, you know now, but they have to be willing as well. Step one, we're going before God because we want to do this. We're going before God because we're saying, no, Lord, we want to right the wrongs. We, we want to live in harmony and in unity. But it does take two. So, it, you know, as much as you want, that's why I believe Scripture says, if it is possible. So, again, as as... As a church family, hey, we're going to do what is in our hula hoop, our responsibility to do. I'm going to do everything I can. We're going to do everything we can, but it always takes two. So I have to be willing to be able to do the work. You know, uh, John Maxwell, who's a pastor and a leadership expert, he's a Christian, obviously, as a pastor, but he's regarded by the world even as like a leadership expert, he had this to add to what we've been reading in Matthew 18. Behind this process lies the authority Jesus has given to the church leaders. So as church leaders, there's the responsibility to act wisely because we've been given authority and because God will confirm and support the decisions made in harmony and because he is present when we gather in his name. Listen, the ultimate judge in our conflict is God. God knows every detail. And so before him, we can't hide the truth. So before God, we're trying to do what is right. And and as much as it depends on us, if you call yourself a, a Christian or a believer, we have to do our part. As much as it depends on me. I'm going to do my part. As much as it depends on you, you have to be willing to own your part and be responsible for it. You know, God, in Psalm 133, it says that how beautiful it is when uh, we dwell together in unity. For there the Lord commands a blessing, even life forevermore. God commands a blessing when we stay united. Guess what? When we stay united... He'll keep us anointed as well. Because in that same Psalm 133, it says, Just like the oil that flowed down Aaron's beard, it started at the head, but that anointing oil flowed all the way to the hem of his garments. And listen, as the church of Jesus Christ, we're still his body today. 
and that oil still flows, and we're still called to live together in unity. Can you say amen? And so it's our responsibility to take this to heart. You know, it's just a blueprint from Scripture, and you might say, that's lovely. I'm going to do it my way. Remember, when we honor God's word, God honors us. And so let us do what we can to work together for good. Listen to what Romans 14, 19 says as we get ready to wrap this up. Let us aim for harmony. Let us aim for harmony. This is our aim today. If you say, Pastor John, what's the goal in relationships? I mean, there are several blessings and benefits, but we're going to aim for harmony today. This is a lesson for us that we're going to aim for in your marriage Husbands and wives, aim for harmony because it's going to flow down to your children. If, if mom and dad, there's, there's disunity, guess what? It's going to flow down. So we have to make sure that we stay united in the home. Make sure that we stay united at work. Serve your boss. Honor your boss. Be a good worker. You honor God as you do that, even to them. When you honor authority, you honor God. And so it's important today that we understand this isn't a message for any one person. This is a message for every person. That conflict is inevitable. There's going to come a time where maybe life has been very sweet and lovely for you. There's going to come a time where you're going to have to remember these principles. And, and you got to let iron sharpen iron. And remember what the scripture says. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. So if you forget everything, remember the NLT translation of it because, hey, I have to approach this so that we're still friends at the end of everything. That's the heart that you have to have going into it. That's the heart that you have to make sure you maintain when you're coming out of it. As much as it depends on you, do whatever you can. You know, I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. We're going to sing one song as we just close the service today. But I just believe that as the team's going to lead, we need to present our heart to God. Step one, we're going to go to God first. We're going to go to God first. And so as the team leads, I just want you, this is your response. You're going to take your heart and you're going to say, Lord, I position it before you today. Search me and know my heart. Know my ways. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. Lord, if there's anything in me that offends you, point it out. We're just creating a space today to allow the Spirit of God. Listen, it's not for a person to come. I got to deal with my log before I can deal with a speck in someone else, right? So let's deal with the logs in us today in the presence of God. Thank you so much for listening to the Sermon of the Week. God wants to work in your life and we want to hear it. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing amen at westonroadchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope listening to this week's message has equipped you to be the light wherever you go.